You are listening to the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Welcome to the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name is Jonathan Wiley. And I'm Mindy Carney. We have a special guest with us today, Stacy Beamer. She is our fearless leader, making her second return to the EdTech Takeout. Stacy, you're the first person to appear in the podcast twice as a guest. Wow, that's a privilege. I hope I get a sticker or something for that honor. Yeah. So introducing myself, sure. My name's Stacy Beamer. I work at Grant Wood AEA with these two great folks. Um, I'm the coordinator of digital learning, former elementary school teacher, middle school teacher for a while, then back to the elementary because it was more fun. Um, then I was tech director before coming here to Grant Wood and getting to work with teachers and administrators now. All right. So um, I have uh, I well, Stacy actually brought this up. Um, we use Voxer as a team, so if you haven't looked at Voxer, it's a good one. But uh, uh, Stacy voxed a photo of her TV screen the other night because there was a lucky duck who had received 3D printed web feet. So his feet had been um, amputated because of frostbite, and there was a teacher in the community that ended up 3D printing this um, little duck new webbed feet to walk around on. Did you guys watch the video clip? I did. And you know what? I heard it again this morning on the radio. So some middle school in Wisconsin is making national news for use of their 3D printer. Kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I thought was interesting and, you know, I've, Mindy and I, the amount of uh, experience we have with um, 3D printers, we could, um, right on the back of a, a stamp or something. But um, when I, we were looking at this, uh, I looked at the video again, the transcript, they used something called, uh, what was that called, that material they used? It was called oh. like Ninja Flex or something? Yes, yeah, yeah. Have you heard of that before? I hadn't. That was the first time I'd heard of it, just when I watched the clip. That was it. I'd never heard of Ninja Flex before. We yeah. need to get Jason Marshall on here and yeah. give us a, a rundown on Ninja Flex. It just it sounds, sounds like cool. something we should have, Ninja Flex. Yeah. It's a good name. Well, <laughs> it, that's a great story. Yeah. And um, I'm going to take us from one incredible creature to another because I have some follow-up from last week, Mindy, when you were asking about the Loch Ness Monster. Oh, yes. The Loch because Ness Monster. Because scientists have found the Loch Ness Monster. What? Well, I, I feel like that should be the headline. It wasn't actually the headline, but... Um, they found this story that came up just very recently because I read the, the BBC news site a lot. And on there it said, the film's lost Nessie monster prop found in Loch Ness. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we talked about all these uh, scientists that are like scanning the bottom of the lock and stuff like that. And they are all doing that. But one of the things they actually found was a movie prop from 50 years ago that sank in the lock. So huh. well, scientists have found... That was a funny. That was a funny twist. Yeah, good one. Well, yeah, not funny, huh? <laughs> but uh, funny, strange for sure. <laughs> no, I actually did see the um, the photo of that Loch Ness monster, and like, did people really believe that that was Loch Ness monster? I guess way back then, that movie Maybe plot prop was uh, yeah, very old because <laughs> it was not real convincing. But it was kind of <laughs> scary, though. <laughs> are, are you saying that's not what the Loch Ness monster looks like? Well, you know what? I guess I don't know. None of us do. None of us know. No. Mm-mm. 
So actually, I have something for follow-up today, Jonathan, about uh, last time when we talked about makerspace and the things you need and to be thinking about when you're starting a makerspace. Okay. So what would that be? We have this great makerspace show here at Grantwood AA that's put on by Amber Bridge and Jason Marshall, and it's called Think, Make, Innovate. And it's really great for schools who are looking for ways to challenge their students. Um, and it's also kind of a window into some of those classrooms that are giving this makerspace movement a try. Um, and, and Jason and Amber do all of these great challenges and like kind of, they're even willing to come out and help people as they're working through those challenges. Um, I think it's just a really great opportunity to kind of see how the maker movement is, looks in a real classroom. Yeah, so they do this uh, monthly video show that they put on YouTube and it always starts with some kind of challenge and it's a challenge that they are partnering with some of our schools on so they manage to go out to schools and they complete this challenge and then they throw it out to the maker community to see what else people can come up with and they've had some uh, really great episodes so far and some Really great people who have submitted things to their maker community. So we should definitely give them a shout out. Yeah, and I'll put a link in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can definitely uh, check out their uh, link to the show there. All right, so swiftly moving on, we're going to talk about our top five for this episode. And our top five Choices this week are EdTech conferences for people that live in the Midwest or people who would love to come and visit the Midwest because it's such an awesome part of the United States. And uh, we have five picks for teachers who are interested in using technology in their classroom and attending conferences to learn more about those. So I'm going to say, Stacy, you should kick us off. You want me to start? Well, the first one I want to talk about is NIDA. Um, I think it's an Nebraska Educational Technology, I don't know what the A stands for, but it's NIDA, and it's in Nebraska. And it actually, NIDA starts um, tomorrow with workshops, and I get the opportunity to head over there tomorrow um, to attend their conference. Um, great event in Omaha. It's at the CenturyLink Center. A super conference for Nebraska educators, Midwest educators to come get together. It's a lot larger than ITEC, um, our Iowa conference. So I think there's 2,000 educators that take off and attend this conference. They'll bring in speakers. They've done dual keynotes or choose your own keynote kind of thing on the second day. Um, I know Dr. Robert Dillon is going to be there doing one of the Choose your own keynote sessions. Um, he was just at the Iowa one to one conference here a couple weeks ago. So I'm excited to see him again. Well, I think you mentioned one of the other ones that we were going to mention. Um, second one on our list is iTech, which is our, um, our own personal Iowa EdTech conference. So, and that runs always in October, like the second week of October, right? Is it something like the second week yep. of October? And, um, that's a great one, I think. What I love about it is just being an Iowa educator and being able to be there and meet the people that I see so often on, you know, Twitter or Google Plus and things like that. And being able to make personal connections with those people and get to see, um, you know, what's going on in the great state of Iowa. So that's a good one to check out, too, in the middle of October. Yeah, lots of things going on in the great state of Iowa. I'm going to go the other side uh, to our neighbors to the east, which would be in Illinois, because... I think it was last year I went to ICE, maybe it was the year before, which is the Illinois Computing Educators Conference. And they always have some, some great people there. I was looking at their 
their speakers for this year. Their conference is in like February or something, which is very fitting for the name of the conference because it's always like icy cold when you go there. But uh, this year they had Jenny McGuera, they had Tom Murray, they had Adam Bello, they had Lisa Johnson, Michael Matera, Refranz Davis. They had a whole bunch of really awesome people. And um, it's definitely a, a great conference to go to. There was a lot of variety that time I went and lots of uh, great learning to do. So it's over in Chicago. And in February, if you are over that way, check out ICE. Yeah, all these um, local, like iTech, ICE, NIDA are all ISTE affiliates. So it's really um, great to see what those local folks put on re- or in their state. It's kind of fun. And Stacey, weren't you just up in uh, Wisconsin for the Midwest Google I Summit? I was. I was. And um, the Great Plains Google Summit is the one that I'm going to get the opportunity to see Sylvia Duckworth at um, this summer. But yeah, the Midwest Google Summit um, happens in um, November. And then there's also a spring summit in March, usually. So the last couple of years, there's been a spring summit too. So great opportunity. Um, that one has really morphed and gone from here's the Google Apps tool suite on how-tos to really digging deep into the integration on how we can use those in the classrooms to impact teaching and learning. So it's always an exciting time to see folks up there and to hear about what other people are doing in their classrooms. Um, so we've kind of graduated um, that conference from here's the basics to the down and dirty, what it means for our kids. So it's kind of exciting. Another great event to check that one out. I'd like to go up and do that sometime. Is it always in Wisconsin or does it travel? That one has always been in the Dells. It was the first huh. summit. Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. We'll have to get you up there. Uh, our last pick is one that, it's just one that we would recommend for everybody, I guess. It's not very local to us right now, but it may be in the future because uh, ISTE is kind of the mother of all EdTech conferences. I've been twice. Stacy's been more times and she can count on one hand probably. And our whole team's going in the summer, which is kind of exciting. And this year it's in Denver. Denver. Which is kind of Midwesty, isn't it? Well, it's, it's drivable. It's Midwest, isn't it? It's drivable, yeah. but it's not Midwest, I it's don't think. It's kind of close to the Midwest, so yeah. But uh, Stacey tells us in 2018, uh, ISTE's going to be in Chicago, that is, is that true. right? That is true. I was at the ICE conference here in February, and I heard that announcement. So that's exciting to have it close in a couple of years. There's only like so many cities they can put it in, is that right? Because of the number of educators that go, they need like a huge conference space because there's like 10, 15,000 people that go to this conference. Yes, it's a biggie. And it's, you know what I love, um, just networking, getting to see, like Mindy said, you know, at iTech, we get to see a lot of the people that we follow on Twitter, um, regionally, locally, and then just magnify that at ISTE. So it's a great opportunity to network and have those face-to-face conversations. Social media is one thing, but a face-to-face conversation over dinner is so much better. Yeah, it's quite the experience, Mindy. I think you will you'll enjoy it this summer. I know. I am so excited. I can hardly wait. <laughs> okay, so if you've been to an EdTech conference that you really enjoyed, you can let us know on Twitter or email us at podcast at gwaea.org. We would love to hear which ones you like and which ones you think are worth recommending to other people.
All right, so on to our May course today, Serve to You Piping Hot. Today we're going to be talking about Chrome apps, extensions, add-ons, the trainer program, all things Googleicious, brought to us by our resident expert, Google Goddess, Stacy Beamer. Wow. Google wow. Goddess. I love it. The Goddess. The Goddess. Wow. That bar is pretty high, and I would not consider myself <laughs> that, but I have a little background you knowledge. You put that one on your email signature. <laughs> Can I have a 3D printed? Oh, Tierra. Yes. <laughs> For sure. We'll work on that. Yes. So how would you like to start, Stacey? Yeah, bring it. What you got? What are you going to share with um, us today? I don't know. Um, I, there's so many exciting things going on um, that I'm using lately. And I, my favorite, I'm going to just start with my current favorite um, Google tool, and it's kind of, it's more of a gadget add-on extension from the Google stuff, um, is Awesome Tables. Awesome Tables, if you have not heard of them, let me explain them because um, our friend Mr. Wiley here is a spreadsheet. Um, oh, this is going to get interesting. What are you going to call him? Yeah. Yeah, I'm waiting. Go on. Amateur. There are certain things uh, he has expertise on. Um, spreadsheets are not one of them. But... Um, he's learning. Is he learning? When he Are you learning, to, Jonathan? When he needs to. Yeah. He does. He tries. I know. I, I try to use anything but spreadsheets. I am just as guilty. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And yes. So anyway, <laughs> awesome tables. What, there's a site, awesometables.com, and there's a dash between awesome dash tables. So, um, what it does is it's an overlay, um, for your spreadsheet data. And why is this important? Well, if you let people like Jonathan into spreadsheets, sometimes your data gets corrupt. So rather than having him (laughs) use the spreadsheet, what I want to do is give him an overlay to that spreadsheet to do some filtering and sorts and find the information that he wants. And that's what Awesome Tables does. Mindy, I've had a spreadsheet shared with me that says on the spreadsheet, Jonathan, do not do anything in this cell. Correct. Usually those are highlighted red. And oh, wow. one of the fun spreadsheet tools that tips is you can actually lock cells. Oh. Um, but we won't go there. Do you lock them? Do you lock it? Well, I know just a smidge about just just a smidge. But so the ones that you lock are probably the ones with the formulas in them, right? So nobody can do anything in it or not? Yeah. Right? Formulas are stuff you don't want people to ma- manipulate that data for you. And I am by no means a spreadsheet um, guru at all, but I'm getting to work with them a little bit more for with awesome tables and actually our session at Nita is going to cover some uses of awesome tables. So um, if you haven't taken a look at that, um, I can give you guys our a link to our um, session resources if you want to oh, post yeah. them. But um, it's a great overlay. Like I said, it's kind of that database-ish feel if you're trying to do some sorts and filters and regraph. Um, one of my favorite tools um, in the Google suite is Forms. And oftentimes we um, collect data in forms, and I remember my, like, oh, wow moment with showing people show summary responses, you yeah. know that, and how it graphs the data. Well, that's awesome, but then what happens sometimes is you forget to clear out your your new data or your old data, and you start using the form again, and you're like, shoot, I have way too much data right. in here. Um, awesome tables will allow you to do a filter by timestamp. So you can decide um, it'll regraph that data to a time frame that you want. So you'll only have current data if you want. So you can collect 
everything all at once and then filter. Hmm. Uh, lots of other different uses for it. Um, we actually surveyed our staff this year about some tech um, readiness kind of tools, and we used awesome tables to drill down a little bit to say, hey, these people are proficient with this, and this is how these folks answered with that, and um, we could drill down by job category and things like that. So a lot of fun stuff with advanced summary responses and awesome tables and just filtering through data. All right, so clarify this for the uh, spreadsheet novice. Yeah. It's it's not really – is it a spreadsheet add-on or is it like a Google Sites add-on? Because it, it lives in a Google Site, doesn't it? It doesn't have to now. So okay. now you can actually build your awesome tables and just provide a web link to folks right in your awesome table. So if you go to that – awesome-tables.com, you log in with your Google account, and then you connect whatever spreadsheet you want. It'll give you a unique web link with that that filter set up. Hmm. Is it is it kind of geeky? I mean, do you need to be really into spreadsheets to use Awesome Tables, or could you pick it up? What do you think? You know what? I think you can pick it up, because I'm becoming more geeky with spreadsheets because of Awesome Tables. Okay. That makes so, sense. Yeah, all you need to do is say, hey, well, there's two things you need to do for every column. So that's what what kind of filter do I need? So that's the first question. And then the second thing is, do you want to show the results or hide them? Oh, that's it? That's all. That's it for each column. What huh. kind of filter? Show or hide? That's it. Interesting. You can't really mess it up. Well. I could <laughs> mess it up. <laughs> I mean, you could mess it up. You could. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I might have to look at that now. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good one. All right. Yep. That's good. I like that. And and as you see uses and see examples, then you're going to be like, awesome. Yeah. It's like mind blowing. I always think like Austin tables kind of like are mind blowing. Like, wow. And because it's like something that you would see like on this like really professional like website or something with all these filtering capabilities. And it's just like, oh, someone I know created this. Her name's Stacey Beamer. It's pretty cool. And I'm, it's hard to talk about. Like, I'm thinking about, oh, this is really hard to explain on a podcast. It, it's done a lot better. It doesn't do it justice. Seeing one and interacting with some data helps. Well, for those people that are interested, we'll just link your um, slides to it, and they can take a look at it, too. That might help visualize it a little bit. Absolutely. Okay. Or a video tutorial, something like that. Okay. Let's do it. couple things that are my um, favorite add-ons that I've been using a lot lately um, our form mule and autocraft. So these have been around a while. Do either of you guys use form mule autocraft? Yes. I helped somebody use form mule recently for, uh, a mail merge. It does mail merge stuff. Is that right? Correct. Yep. But what did you start that mail merge in? What did you have to have all your data um, in? <laughs> the user had a spreadsheet that was oh. already generated with data. The, uh, yeah. So I didn't do much of that. I, help them pull the data into formula. So that's what I did. Yeah. I'm going up in the world. So yeah, formula is just an email merge utility. So a lot of people miss that when we went over to switch over to um, use the Google apps for education suite. Um, Cause there isn't that mail merge, but this is what does it. And you can actually have triggers go. So based on a criteria, if the, I did this for our student tech fairs. So somebody filled out a Google form, the sponsor did, and said, hey, I'm going to go to the Eastern Fair. So because they selected Eastern, I had them emailed um, through Formule an Eastern response with all the information about the Eastern Fair. 
And then if they select central, Formule knew that that was the criteria and it would send them a different email. So kind of a nice customized email solution. You might have something right now that I'm working on that that might work for. Hmm. Good one. And I think about like student lists or having parents in a spreadsheet list with the name of the student and, hey, I want to send out a reminder. I can, as long as that information is in a column in my spreadsheet, I can send out an individual reminder through Formula. Right. With the student's name, right? So it like personalizes it. You could still do like a form email or a bulk email, but it personalizes it for that person. And that's what's kind of nice about it. There is some restrictions though. Um, if you're doing it in just a public Gmail account, I think you get like a hundred a day. But if you are doing it in a, a Google Apps for Education domain email, you get 1500 a, a day. day. Jeez. A day. That's a lot. Yeah, I went to a workshop with uh, Ramsey Masalam once, and I think he did this in like yet another mail merge, but he took the data from his kids when they filled in a Google form as kind of a formative assessment thing, and he would add some feedback for the students and then send it back out as a mail merge, and it would say, dear so-and-so, here's what you did, here was your score, um, here's the feedback, uh, come and see me if you have more questions, and use it for kind of a... Formative feedback type of uh, activity too. Awesome tables and Formule and Autocrat. Those are all scripts, but I'm not, I don't have time to learn all that programming language and scripting all that. So that's what these add ons um, do for you. They have that script in the back end, make it user friendly. And Autocrat's another one. So if you're ever merging to documents, so you have your spreadsheet data and you want to merge into a document or you can create more spreadsheets, um, you can do that. So. For my awesome table session this week, um, what I'm going to do um, is have them fill out a Google form about them, and then we're going to use that data to do an awesome table. But when they fill out that data, I'm asking them for their email, and I'm going to autocrat them the notes for the session and a nice little fun certificate. So they are going to be awesome at awesome tables. And I think autocrat will let you send them a Google Doc or a PDF. Is that right? It can... Go in either format. Correct. Well, it's just is like so surprising to me how productive, how your productivity with these kinds of tools just like skyrockets. I mean, all of the stuff that you normally like, all that data you would comb through or like try and sort it this way or that way. But with these kinds of tools, man, it just like it just makes it so much simpler. It's amazing. Yeah, and I think it like as a classroom teacher, if I were to have how many different emails did I need to send out to remind my kids or to remind parents and those kind of things, and I have all that information in a spreadsheet already, so I'm just using the data, the same data set over and over and over again for different things. All right. I've heard the word spreadsheet much more than I normally do today, so is there anything else we have here that's not spreadsheet related? What do you want to move on to, Chrome? Extensions? No. <laughs> yeah, we love extensions. I want to know from you two, I'm going to put them on the spot, your favorite Chrome extension. I do this a lot when I go out to dinner. <laughs> what do you go out for dinner? That's what Chrome you say extension. to people? Well, if I'm out for dinner, like at Nita, we'll go out for oh. dinner. Favorite Chrome extension around the table. Go. <laughs> my, so I'm doing it for you with you guys now. Favorite Chrome extension. Go. My favorite one is Snagit. Why? Um, because I, um, what I really love about it is that you can make um, little 20-second GIFs without um, any problem at all and just doing like quick little screen shares with people um, when they are asking questions like what's this look like or how do I do this instead of typing out an email or doing screenshots sometimes it's just easier to create a little video to show people how to do it 
and um, it's just right there in my browser. I love it. Uh, my favorite. I'm gonna I'm gonna give two. I'm gonna cheat. Shocker. Uh, my favorite. W- <laughs> podcasting privilege um my favorite one i guess would be something like extensity just because it lets you turn on and off extensions as and when you need them and as good as a browser chrome is if you have too many extensions running at one time it can really bog things down and slow things down so it's got a really nice little drop down menu where you can just tap and click on things you want to turn on and off and the other one, if I could only have one more extension, I'd probably have uh, uBlock Origin, which is an ad blocker. And, Ooh, uh, I don't know this I one. Need, I need an ad blocker. Um, morals and ethics aside, it's something I can't live without right now. Morals and ethics huh. aside. That's the one. Wesley Fryer recommended uBlock Origin. It's supposed to be run less on your you know resources and cpu than anything else that's out there right now so i think it's it works fine for mm. me i will be trying this have did you share that one with us i don't share everything with you but he maybe likes to I keep himself at a level one. above the rest of us so he doesn't share right, right. all of his goodies <laughs> most of the time we get some of those little fun things coming our way i'll send you some extensions but the super secret ones i keep those to myself yeah if we're talking about fun ones i just added pac-man as an extension on my browser that's yeah. awesome. And, um, well, of course, the Hey Girl Chrome extension, which is obviously really my favorite, but I can't really say that when my boss is asking well, me. What do you mean you can't say it? You said it as a tech nugget last time. <laughs> well, you know, my boss now is on the podcast, so I have to do something a little bit more ed techie. But, um, if we're, but the other one that I always think is so fun to share with people that always gets the most ooze and ahs is Google Tone. Really? People are always like so surprised by that. I can just like tone it out to you. How does that work? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it works. Explain explain what that is, Mindy, for anyone that hasn't used it before. Okay, so Google Tone um, allows you to share your web link through sound waves. So it um, gives you this little sound. I wonder if I play it. Will you guys be able to hear it? So then it broadcasts that web link and it shows up just as like an alert on other people's um, computers that also have Google Tone, they have to have Google Tone too, and then they can just click on it, and then the link that I'm viewing also they can view at the same time. So people love it; it's fun. It's like magic. All right, let's flip it back to Stacy because you made us pick one, and we cheated and picked two. But you're you're going to tell us a whole bunch. But what are your what's your favorite or favorite two? You know what, my favorite, the one that still I think has the gold star for me is the goo.gl the url shortener i like that one too um and partially when i go through some of these partially because of the shortened url but i think that shortened url is kind of silly because sometimes it's hard to disseminate when you put it in a certain font what's a capital i what is that an l or whatever so that's not so much why i use it but it's a quick way to make qr codes um track hits on websites and also it's a nice quick way to share to social media um, so if I'm on a website, I just hit that quick and I want to send that to Twitter. So away it goes. So I think, so I don't have to break the flow, um, of what I'm doing. That's why I, I like that one. And that's why I like a lot of extensions. There's some extensions that I really like a lot. Not saying I like to have a lot of extensions on because they do slow your browser down sometimes. So, um, that's why I look like, what am I using frequently? That's going to help make me more efficient. And that is one. You you get one more, though. 
Oh, I know. I'm like looking at. I pulled up. You're looking at your extension museum chromes, and I'm like, which are my other one? Um, honestly, the one that I use <laughs> a lot. And this it's is the just, Hey Girl extension, isn't it? It is. I hate <laughs> no. No, the one I use a lot is um Undo Close Tab. Oh, I use that one a lot. So it too. just goes. And just as my workflow, now this would be something different for students. I mean, I'm not talking in that arena, but for me, just as I'm working, I'm like, oh, what was that tab? Or I accidentally closed something and I can go back and search and find a quick undo. And then the other one, just workflow wise, so this is three, um, is still tab cloud. So you can save a series of tabs and then reopen them later. So I have a series of tabs open for a project. Um, so I've just, you can name that series of tabs and then click on it and open it again later. Ooh. So I think it's a qu- good way to, for me working now, if I'm going to go present something or show something, I can save that series of tabs and then just click on it and open them all up automatically. For teachers and kids, um, what a great way to bookmark a series of sites. So I say like, okay, we are studying um, Iowa history and I've got these bookmark sites, what the kids can do is go over there and hit the tab cloud and hit Iowa history, and then it'll open up all the sites they need. So they're not typing them all in. Did you say, can you share your tab clouds? You cannot share your tab clouds, but you can use one tab, which is another extension that will let you do something similar and save Hmm. that or share that series of tabs. I like that. What else is good? What else should we know about? Oh, I, you know, I've been doing, um, and I know you guys have talked about this too with teachers. As fo- folks have Chromebooks and um, different devices. There's a lot of accessibility stuff built into iPads. And so what do you get on the Chromebook um, that's comparable? So sometimes you have to piecemeal tools together to do some of those accessibility things. So that's kind of what I'm looking for too. So, you know, readability is another great one. Um, just a simple Google dictionary as kids are reading the web and can highlight a word and have it read to them and defined. Um, readability clears up all the extra ads and things off of a, a website as kids are reading. But then you can also do some reversal of fonts, uh, color, and save that to read offline or read later. So those are just, I don't know, there's a bunch of them that I, I like. But I like the ones that really students can use to help them become better readers and writers. So I have a question for you, Cece. How is it that you learned so much about Google? Like what was the the path that you took that got you to your wealth of knowledge? Um, I have only a smidget of knowledge compared to some people. So, um, Well, compared to me, you would have more knowledge. So well, there you go. There, okay. So um, Iowa, it's kind of funny. So I'm back, way back when. Um, no, Iowa, about five, six, seven, seven years ago or so, Iowa went statewide with Google Apps um, for education. So it was it was when Google Apps for education was just starting starting to take off. So I had the opportunity to head out with some other Iowa educators to the Googleplex out in Mountain View, and we did a couple day training, a two day training out there, and then came back and some of our districts started deploying Google Apps. So helping support them in that transition and utilizing these tools um, was part of my job as a technology consultant. So I was just learning and soaking in as much as I could. And, you know, honestly, one of my favorite experiences here at the AEA was getting the opportunity to work with um, one of our districts, Clear Creek Amana, as a tech consultant. And they um, had a, 
a student group, the Creek Squad back in the day, and they were u- learning all this Google Apps stuff and helping with break fix stuff in the district and um, helping teachers get on board with how to use these tools. And so I learned so much just meeting with those guys. Like we had a meeting once a month with those, that a team of middle school kids and they just showed me all kinds of different things. So that was awesome learning for me too. It's not just from um, blog posts or seeing stuff on Twitter or, you know, webinars or all that, but you can learn a lot from the kids too. So that's kind of how it all started. And then I've just kind of kept my um, feet in the water. Is it true that somewhere on YouTube, there is a video of the Creek Squad? I feel like I've seen that somewhere before. There is. We should link to that in the show notes. Okay, Mindy, I'll see if I can track it, it down. Stacy's. See Creek if you can Squad. track it down. Um, I don't know where it is. Um, yeah, Google actually came out. Google for Education came out, and they sent a, a, a crew to film, and it was kind of it was an event. It was kind of cool for these kids. Um, are you in the video, Stacy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are. Oh, I didn't watch all the way through. I guess, or I must have skipped over that bit. So another way to stay current, though. Um, is joining like your Google educator groups. Um, there is Google plus communities. That's another way that people are posting things. Um, I also had the opportunity to do a Google teacher Academy, which is now, um, they're Google innovators. So that was another learning experience. And I built my PLM there and just have these amazing educators that I've connected with and have been able to tap for resources and questions and things like that. So that's, part of how I've gotten to know quite a bit and I continue learning. So those certifications are, have come in handy. Yeah. And haven't those um, certifications kind of changed just a little bit in the last, has it been just like in the last year? Yes, they have. Um, So now, and that's one of the things I really like about the Google for education team um, is they're listening to feedback and there used to be just a Google education trainer and then it was, and that was fine. Um, and then they had the certified teacher stuff, but there's a lot of things with the Google Edge certified trainer program now. Um, those are meant for people that do professional development and work for teachers. And there are some amazing teachers out there, like educators that aren't doing PD all the time. And part of the um, requirements for a certified trainer is to actually go out and do professional development and work with teachers. So your average teacher who is an amazing educator and needs to stay working with kids doesn't always have those opportunities. So um, they've created the educator level one and level two certificates. Um, so you can get that certification. So that just means you're taking a series or an exam for the level one and level two. Yeah. And I think that can be a great thing just for teachers to like add a bit of street cred to their resume. And like if they're looking for teaching positions elsewhere further down the line, that it's good to have that, you know, that certification and qualification on your, uh, on your resume. So can I ask a question again? So about the level one and level two though, are they more like, it's not really like Google basics though. It's more about the integration. Is that correct? Isn't that kind of how it's changed a little bit as far as their delivery or um, their instruction? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's really nice about this because some of those first exams were um, just here's how you'd use the tool. How do you share a document? Blah, blah, blah. And so now it's more job embedded questions or how would you have students do this scenario and what would you do with it? So the educator level one is just basic fundamentals. 
And then um, they really try to dig deeper and, and advanced, advanced for level two. But what's also kind of cool is the, the training materials, like the review materials are all there. So that's great new learning for people who are interested. And I know as folks that train and we do a lot of PDR team quite a bit. And if you're doing a Google training, you, <laughs> you better check like the hour before to make sure nothing has changed because we're updating our slide decks or presentation materials quite frequently. The nice thing is, is if you send them over to the Google training materials, those are going to be current. Yeah. Cause even if you don't know anything about Google, their help center is amazing. I mean, you can find any answer to pretty much any question that you've got and it walks you through all the steps and I love it there. Yeah. And on that kind of note, uh, one of the things that I appreciate about these programs, because I'm part of the certified trainer program, is that just the, the community of people that you get connected with and the vast knowledge that people have on the Google apps and tools is is hard to uh, hard to match or explain, really, because there's always somebody out there that can answer your Google question, whether it's on Google Plus or in part of the Google group communities and things like that. It's... Uh, yeah, it's just a world of people it connects you to. Yeah, it it is, and that's I'm thinking of folks like Hank Thiele, who I work with um, out of Illinois. Um, he and I worked together with the Midwest Summit, and he was his school is one of the original districts to go Google Apps, and the stuff he has done is amazing. And then he just showed me awesome tables. It's his fault that I am all about awesome tables um, a year ago, but it's just yeah. How do you do this? How do you do that? So what about the uh, certified innovator one? Do you know much about that? That's a recent one again, isn't it? Yeah, that's a kind of a facelift um, per se of the Google Certified Teacher Program. So these are certified innovators and they run those um, maybe once or twice a year. It it just depends. You never know when they're going to come up. So you just got to be watching. You have to take the level two exam. So they're hoping for educators that go beyond the basics. So you have to pass the level two uh, certified educator exam. And then there's an application process. So questions about what you're doing in your classroom. And it pushes a little bit more. And they're looking for people that are doing amazing, innovative things in their district um, and in their classroom and in their school. So some of those movers and shakers out there. And I look around and there's so many teachers that I see in our area that would be prime candidates. Um, it's a little extra work. You've got to go through and create a video and pass the exam and fill out the application process. But for that, then you, if you're accepted, you get to spend a couple of days, um, at a Google headquarters somewhere. Um, this next one that I think it closes in May, applications close in May and then they're announced. And right after ISTE, there is a, a certified innovator, um, I don't know if it's an academy or what they call it, but they have that, and it's in Boulder, Colorado, one of my favorite places. So after ISTE, you can just zoom on over there. Zoom on up to Boulder, and there you be. Yeah, so applications are being accepted right now. And that's... And you said that closes in May? Yeah, I believe it's... Or April 30th, and then I think they let people know in May. Um, Yeah, I would say, you know, if you're looking for that kind of stuff, um, join your... Google Educator Group, Iowa, we've got a Google Educator Group. So as I get some of that stuff coming across my desk um, and shared with me, I've been posting in our our gag so people know when that's coming. Um, or follow on Twitter. That's another great resource.
All right. So that brings us to my favorite part of the show, the tech nuggets. And whose turn is it to go first? I don't remember. I think it's my turn to go first, Mindy. Okay. All right. Mine is a short one, and it's something that just came out yesterday, I believe. We're recording April 19th, so this came out April 18th, and that is that podcasts are now available in Google Play Music, and that means you can listen to podcasts on the web or on Android devices through a native Google app, which you couldn't really do before, so I don't know how you're listening to this podcast right now, whether it's on a computer or on a mobile device, but I think this is kind of an interesting uh Moved by Google to try and uh, compete with iTunes and have a podcast directory that you are able to access through Google Play Music, which is a separate app from the Google Play app. So if you're looking in the Google Play Store where you go normally looking for apps, it's not in there. It has to be in the Google Play Music app, and you will find the EdTech Takeout, among many other quality podcasts available in Google Play Music for Android and on the web. So if you want to listen on the web, you absolutely can. What do you think of that one, Mindy? Well, that's good. So did you have to do anything different to get, I mean, still takes an RSS feed like iTunes does? Yeah, I had to submit yeah. our podcast feed pretty much the same way that you do with iTunes. And actually, I did that back in... Like way back, I don't know, right? back in February or something like that. Because yeah. they had this kind of pre-sign-up uh, thing going on where you could submit. But uh, it's only now that it's recently launched. So... Uh, Check us out on the Google Play Music. Thank you for sharing. So um, mine is from Tony Vincent, and um, it is something I hadn't seen before or really thought about, and it uses QuickTime, and I love QuickTime. It's one of my um, favorite things about using my Mac. So I uh, saw that you can connect your iPad to your computer with just your regular charging cord. And you plug it in, and if you um, open up QuickTime Player, you can open up a new movie recording. And when it first opens up, it's just going to use your camera from your computer. But um, if you use QuickTime, there's like this little drop-down arrow right by the little record button, and it will allow you to change it over to your iPad so that you can mirror your iPad to your computer and record the screen of your iPad instead of your computer using QuickTime. So one of the ways that he uses it, though, he says is when he's presenting. So um, instead of like trying to use Air Server or something like that, which can get, you know, sometimes it works really well and sometimes there's problems with it. But this way you can just plug your iPad into your computer. Um, and if your computer is, you know, attached to some sort of projector or something like that, then um, it shows up on the on the screen. So I didn't know you could do that. Did you? Yeah, I did know you could do that. No, yeah, I said maybe the what? <laughs> I said that's a shocker. Of course you know. You know, the thing that I, I like about this method, I guess, is that you don't need Wi Fi to put right. your Apple iPad on your Mac because you can just, you know, shoot it over there with the cable. So if you happen to be somewhere where you don't have Wi Fi or the Wi Fi is not very reliable, those are the occasions when Air Server and Reflector don't work very well because you need Wi Fi for that. When I played with it, though, one of the things that I noticed, and maybe you can turn this off, you maybe you probably know, but so, you know, every time you connect your iPad to your computer, then your photos always pop up as, you know, that they want to import your photos from your iPad to your photos on your computer. So, how, so can you turn that off somehow? 
there is yeah. a way to turn that off. Is there? But yeah. I don't remember where you turn that off. It might be in, I don't know if it's in the iTunes or if it's in the photos, but mm. I believe you can turn that off. Uh, well, this is kind of annoying. And then it would, con- it like occasionely do it again while I go, while I was working. <laughs> like, oh, oh while yeah. you're recording, that would yeah. be annoying. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> but I figured this is, you got to be able to turn this off somehow. And I was just kind of messing with it. So I didn't look into it that much further. But yeah, I thought it was kind of a nice tool for teachers who are, I have people asking me all the time, well, how do I project what I'm doing on my iPad? And although I do love Air Server because you can put lots of, project lots of iPads up at one time, it is kind of a nice way just to do it quick um, if you don't have one of those other, you know, softwares or whatever. So, yeah. Thank you, Tony Vincent. Okay. I thought of one. Okay. Stacey Beamer has a tech nugget. No. Um, well, this is just kind of, Something useful, and I don't know if you guys have talked about this, since Google Photos has also had a big facelift in the last uh, six months, year or so. Um, one of the things, just iPad, um, iPhone, um, Android phone, I would always recommend um, turning on that instant upload or be able to back up your photos to Google Photos because you don't have a storage limit as long as you go the a basic resolution which is good enough for me um so that's always nice because i'm snapping pictures a lot oftentimes it seems like i'm if i go to a conference or i'll go see something observe i'll snap a picture of it so to make sure i have that backed up i have the google photos turned on um which is great and then once you have all of your photos up on the web um, I don't need to worry about emailing myself a photo and then going, dropping it into a slide deck. But how awesome is that if kids um, were able to put the photos app on a device and snap a picture and upload it and use it for a project. It automatically create photo albums for you now. So a lot of the things that, you know, iPhoto used to have for us um, are up there. And then it's got the shared album and you can create animations and collages and um, lately, as I've been traveling, when I get back from my trips, um, even if it's just like to Des Moines, um, it'll create an album for me and it'll add a map and I can add captions and then I can quickly share that album out with other people. So some fun things, um, some of those features that we are missing in Picasa, um, rest in peace, um, are being incorporated into Google Photos. So that would be my little nugget upload your photos and then let google photos create some albums for you you know i really like that auto upload feature i I think a lot of cloud apps have that i almost wish that you know there was an option somewhere in settings you could turn on auto upload and once it's uploaded delete from my device i agree and because a number of people that come to me sometimes and say, oh, my iPad's full, but I put all my photos in Google Photos, and it's like, well, they're still on your iPad as well. So they're in two places at once. I'd love the option to, you know, I don't know if Apple will let you do that probably, but Android might. I don't know. And, you know, on my photos, if I delete it from my photos in the cloud, I think I have the option to delete it from my phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it'll delete it from Hmm. all places, but it gives me a little warning. then... But then you're an Android user. I don't think Apple will let the iPhone users do that. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, we'll that's okay. I'm, Maybe one day. One day. And it's not, I mean, if you can do a quick select all and delete, but you're right, you got to remember to delete it because photos are storage hogs. I uh, delete my Google Photos app off my iPad all the time or my iPhone. So I just put my new photos on it and then I just delete the app. And when I have a bunch on my camera roll again, I 
reload it, put them all in, delete them. It's kind of nice. So and I always have lots. But of, then you still have to del- space. delete them off your device, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. But I'm just saying it's kind of nice without because I have so much music on my phone that sometimes my um, storage can get a little sketchy. So it's a nice way for me to be able to add those photos, and then I just delete the app too. And then when I want it, I just pull it back in. So it's good to go. Hmm. That might be a discussion for later because I have some questions about for you guys about how you do your music and podcasts and stuff. If you stream a lot of that or if you download it locally. I stream most of my My podcast download because I have a limited data plan. So I like to listen to them in the car. So uh, mine automatically download like the last two or three episodes. And it just checks periodically through the day so that I always have something offline I can listen to. Oh, that makes sense. What do you use? Do you use Pocket? What is the thing that you use? You don't I use, use o- I use Overcast. Overcast. Or, yeah, iOS. I think it's iOS only, but I use Overcast for my podcasts. Nice. So we just threw in an extra nugget there. Yeah, that's an extra nugget. Extra nugget, yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe in one of those podcast players we were talking about of your choice. You can be Google Play Music now if you really want to. And uh, leave us a review on iTunes. I don't know if you can leave us a review in Google Play Music or not, but I expect that will be coming soon if it's not here already. Lots of people have already left us reviews, and I'm going to share one that we got recently. And I know you saw this one, Mindy. I don't know if Stacy's heard it or not, but some one we got from Word Nerd Eighty on iTunes. He or she said, uh, this is a must in my podcast rotation. Each episode is the perfect length for either my drive to or from work. I always look forward to hearing Jonathan and Mindy's voices. They are entertaining and provide wonderful resources, especially the tech nuggets. I know. Look at that. So that was a good one. You can um, follow us on Twitter if you like. I am at Jonathan Wiley. Mindy is at Team Kearney. Stacy is at S Beamer, S B E H M E R. And you can also use the hashtag EdTechTO if you want to tag the show. Send us any of your ideas and feedback to podcast at gwaea.org. And until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast. 